Good morning. Good morning, church family. How are we today? Hmm? How are we today? <laughs> For those who don't know me, my name is Timothy White. I am the care minister here. And I want to welcome you today. If you, for those who are watching online, uh, thank you for joining us. <clears throat> Excuse me. As Emily mentioned, we've been in this sermon series about being formed in the wilderness and how God comes to various people, different times in different ways. Uh, the first week we dealt with Hagar. And give me one moment so I can get my notes up. Excuse me. Story of Hagar, she shows up in Genesis 16, 21. God comes to her twice. She's in the wilderness twice, you know. And we see how God meets her in that place of desperation. Uh, We heard about Elijah last week and his moment in the wilderness. Uh, We talk about that wilderness moment being, um, well, there's a literal wilderness that these people find themselves in, right? Physical wilderness. Uh, But then there's also this internal wilderness that we experience at times. It's that inner chaos, those situations we get in that leave us disoriented. There's some chaos. We're not sure where to go. And when you read these stories, These are individuals who end up in both, you know, they're in a physical wilderness, but then also internally they've got all kinds of things going on. Elijah is running for his life, okay? And today we're going to look at the life of Moses. Many of us have heard Moses, Sunday school stories, you know, he's the guy who led the children of Israel out of Egypt, excuse me. So I want to talk about him today his experience, and his experience with God is a little different. You know, the past couple of weeks, we've kind of seen God's um, provision, God's care for Elijah, for Hagar, but he gets a different (laughs) uh, experience with God. So we'll talk about that today. So there's a lot to cover. So I want to begin by reading our text, which comes from Exodus chapter 3. And I'm just going to, I'm going to kind of go through this, but I just want to read the entire chapter. So, and hopefully, yes, you can see that. Okay. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he, he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their, excuse me, their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, 
to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I, that I shall go to Pharaoh, and that I shall bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you, and it shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of, the, of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. Okay. (laughs) Then they will heed your voice, and you shall come and the elders of Israel to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders which I will do in its midst, and after that he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who, who, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, of gold, and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. This is the Word of God. Now I must admit, preparing for this, uh, before I preach to you, there's a way in which God deals with me and preaches this to me long before I speak it. So uh, I got to make sure I get all of this out because this has just been, been working on me. So a little bit of history. Now we know that passage and we're going to come back to that, but just a little bit of history. How, does, how do we get to this point, right? So, brief history lesson. I love doing this because I just love doing it, and you love it too. So, (laughs) um, quick history. How we got here? How does Egypt come into the story? Well, you go back to Genesis chapter 15. uh, You know, God makes a covenant with Abram, whom he renames Abraham, and he tells him, know this, that your descendants will be strangers in a land and they are going to be oppressed for 400 years. But I'm going to save them, and I'm going to punish, I'm going to judge the nation who does this. So God is already telling Abram, this is coming. Fast forward, we know the story of Joseph. He gets sold into Egypt. 
God is with him the whole time. And he goes from being a slave to coming up to uh, uh, prominence to becoming the second in command, and God works through him to save an entire nation, right? So now this is how Egypt comes into play. Fast forward, Exodus chapter 1. After Joseph in that generation, Joseph is a son of, of Jacob, and that generation died off. Exodus 1 starts off with this shift. There arose a king in Egypt that didn't know Joseph. I don't know if he hadn't heard of him or he just didn't care about him. But what Joseph meant just didn't matter to him. And that king says, you know, these Hebrews are getting too numerous. And then there's that fear mongering that happens. You know, we, we can think of the atrocities that have been committed in our world historically, humans doing terrible things to humans. And you're going to find that fear is always at the root of it. Same thing here. These Hebrews are multiplying too much. We got to do something or they're going to overrun us. They're going to stand on the side of our enemies and so on. So they started oppressing them, putting taskmasters on them. And this happened for many, many years, 400 years, right? Fast forward, in that time, Pharaoh realized this isn't working. The more we oppress them, the more they multiply. We need to do something else. So Pharaoh implements this sort of population control. So he goes to these uh, Hebrew midwives, Shipra and Pua, and he says to them, here's what I want you to do. When a Hebrew baby is born, if it's a boy, kill him. But there's something you need to know about these wonderful, courageous women. Women, they feared God, right? And they couldn't do it. They didn't follow the king's order. Of course, the king doesn't like that. So he gives the order to his people. If a Hebrew baby boy is born, throw him into the river. So this is the climate. This is the climate that Moses is being born into. Fast forward to chapter two. Moses is born. We've got his courageous mother who hides him as long as she can for about three months, but it comes to a point she can't because remember, this order has been given. This is happening all over the place. And we, we still see though, even with the Hebrew, uh, the midwives, God is still present in this. God is still guiding this, but there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of destruction happening. So Moses' mother, she hides him as long as she can. When she can't, she puts him in a basket, you know, puts, uh, you know, pitch on it, you know, keep the water out, places him among the reeds in the Nile, right? And then, and then her daughter stands far off to just see what happens. And then here, here we have this other interesting woman, Pharaoh's daughter, who comes out and sees this and finds Moses. And it says that she felt sorry for him. And she took him as her son. And it's interesting, the strategy of Pharaoh's, uh, not Pharaoh, but Moses' sister, who's like, hey, you know, do you want me to get a Hebrew woman to nurse him for you? She was like, yeah, sure. She goes and gets her mother. And Moses, Moses' mother, she's paid to nurse her own son. You see how God is still working in this, this midst of pain, right? And then it just puzzles me, and this is another study. I'm just like, hmm, what was it about Pharaoh's daughter that would lead her to 
rebel against her own father's command? I mean, she should have taken him out of the basket and just dumped him in the water, but she didn't. Just interesting study. We don't have time for that. But this is the climate. So Moses is raised as Pharaoh, uh, by Pharaoh's daughter, and he grows up, you know. And as he grows up, he starts seeing the oppression of his people. He starts caring about it. He starts feeling some type of way about it. So much so, there's a day that comes where Moses sees an Egyptian beating a fellow Hebrew. And Moses does one of these numbers. Just kind of looks around. I don't see anybody. Coast is clear. And he kills the Egyptian. Buries him in the sand. So he thinks it's good. Nobody saw me. I'm done. But the next day, he sees two fellow Hebrews fighting, and one seems to be beating the other or pressing the other. And he's like, brother, stop. Why are you fighting each other? And then they're like, one guy's like, well, who made you a judge and rule over us? Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? And then fear sets in. This must be known. Pharaoh hears about it, wants Moses dead. Moses runs for his life. And he runs to the land of Midian, where we meet him. Okay? As we started, we see, you know, Moses, uh, long story short, he goes to uh, Midian, you know, he gets a wife. He's building a new life. So we encounter Moses in this wilderness tending sheep, his father-in-law's sheep. Now, there's nothing unusual about this time, right? He's doing a normal task. I want you to know that he's doing a task that he's been doing for 40 years now. Yes. About 40 years have passed since he fled Egypt. When we come to this text, he was 40 years, when, years old when he left. He's 80 now. So he's been here for a while. He's been laying low for 40 years. And for our time today, I kind of want to use his experience as a metaphor, in a sense, for when the wilderness or the wilderness experience becomes normal, when it becomes normal, comfortable. Moses fled. He had to run for his life. But now I have to stay hidden. I got to stay gone. He builds a new life, but one has to wonder to what degree, and the, and the interesting thing is the text doesn't give us a lot of information about his time in Egypt, uh, what his role was, um, and we don't have a lot of information about, you know, these 40 years that he's been in Midian, but he's been laying low for the whole time. Yes, he built a new life, but I can guarantee you, to some degree, Egypt is still there. And he left cares back in Egypt. His family, so we get the sense he's been connecting with his people some kind of way. We don't know when or how, but he starts to, becoming aware of his people and their plight, so he's worried about them. But I can't go back. If I go back, I'm a dead man. So we, we don't know what headspace he's in, and so maybe I'm speculating a little bit, you know? And, but, so we kind of have to use like the verses before and then the, the coming conversation with God to kind of get a sense of where his head is. But I can tell you that Egypt is still driving him in some way. I can't go back. No, my people, no, I can't. 
I need to stay here. When the wilderness becomes comfortable, even though he left it behind, it's become comfortable. And the same with you and I. And I want to start just with a question. What wilderness experience is driving you? What wilderness experience is driving or motivating you? So what do, what do I mean by this line of questioning? Well, as we talked about the wilderness experience, we come to this place where we, we feel disoriented, we feel lost, abandoned. Maybe it's something we did. Maybe it's something that happened to us. Maybe it's a mixed bag. But for whatever reason, we find ourselves in this wilderness space but then there's something else that we can do in that wilderness experience. That rather than directing those, those concerns upward to God and looking to God to enter into this space with us, to know that God is there with us, we start looking internally. And what's happening to me in that wilderness, the chaos, is now what's driving me. I got to get gone and I got to stay gone. <clears throat> but I, I, I'm looking to my own resources. I just have to do what I, I have to do. So it's like this survival mode, whatever it was, but now I'm looking in here for what resources I have. What can I do? What do I need to do? And it's a dangerous place because then that becomes the foundation from which we operate now right? It becomes a new land that we live in. I got to stay here. This is the only way I'll survive. So the fear, I, I got to stay there. I, I'm just terrified of everything now. Uh, uh, worry, I have to worry about everything. But we, we stay in this space. And what happens is it, it's the assumptions and conclusions that we start coming to because of what happened to me, because of what I did, because of what they said, because of how I'm feeling. These assumptions, the wilderness is driving you right now. Here are a few examples. I'm just going to fail again, so why try? Next one. This is a big one. How could God ever forgive me? Maybe you experience a real moral failure, you know? So yes, there are the real feelings of guilt and shame that come, but rather than directing that upward to God saying, I need you, I'm looking inward. How could God ever love me again? Or it goes the other way, as Emily pointed out in the first uh, sermon, this kind of striving, okay, now I have to work harder because now I need to earn God's forgiveness. Now, I, I have to, this is just how I have to be right now. Next one, no one needs me anyway, so I'll just stay away. And I want to say this really uh, uh, carefully so we don't confuse this with 
actions that we might need to take for like self-care and, you know, Anthony talked last week about sometimes figuring out what's happening in my mind, depression and stuff like that. There are real issues that could be driving certain emotions, mental health, and so definitely we want to care about those things to move toward healing. But this is another space, like I said, we go inward. Here's another one. I don't need anyone to help me. Next one. I've been hurt too many times. This time won't be any different. Assumptions, conclusions. This is how it's going to be now. Next one. They don't deserve my forgiveness. Next one. I don't need community or accountability. I'll handle it myself. Next one, if I don't get it done, it won't happen. Next one, I have to worry. I, I just have to, I just, I, I, I just have to. Next one, I don't deserve to be loved. Next one, or the last one. Everyone hates me. Now, this one, you know, I will just make this comment, you know, because, you know, some stuff, you could be a jerk, and then folks just don't like you for that reason, you know, so I don't, I had to think about that, like, hold up, wait, well, uh, maybe, there might be reasons you feel that way, but, um, but it's, are you following me, it's this, Like Moses, I've been here, I got to stay here, I might as well just build a life here now. Like, I just, this is how I have to be, how I have to think, nobody, yeah, nobody cares. I don't, yeah, I don't really want to be a part of the group. I'll just sit in the back and it's over, I'll just leave. I don't want to connect with anybody right now and it's just, just kind of how I have to be, right? Just to give you a, a personal example. Back in 2012, I was working at North Park University, and I was in seminary at the time, too, so it was great. One of the perks of working there is, you know, you get free tuition. Beautiful. God was providing. It was great. Then I went into work one Friday, May, you know, spring. It's beautiful. Trees are blooming. It's wonderful. And then I see an email from my boss as soon as I get in. It tells me to go to a certain building. And then I noticed copied on the email was his boss and the director of HR. And then my heart sank. Kind of that wilderness moment you're confronted with. So I started, you know, got frustrated. What's going on? A little anxiety started building up. So I went home to my wife, because you know it's Friday, so I dressed down and whatnot. I changed my clothes, and I'm like, baby, I don't know what this means. I'm just going to go. So I went, and it was exactly what I thought. Tim, we're cutting your position. You're going to have to move on. Now, that was a really hard place, a hard experience to lose my job. I've got a wife. I've got two young children at the time. I've got real concerns. I've got real needs. What am I going to do with seminary? Because this was, this was paying for school. Like, this is a real wilderness moment, right? 
Now what do I do? I know I have to get a job and, you know, there's unemployment, all of this stuff. So it was a real emotional time. But there was something internally that I started doing it, and maybe I realized it and maybe I didn't. But that wilderness experience started driving me. I got to find a job. I gotta find, that, that, that's all I could see right now. And I have to admit that my wife struggled with me during those times because she would even just tell me, like, baby, like, look, just give yourself a window during the day, two hours, job search, and then be done. And then go to the park with your family, right? I couldn't do it. I would say things out of irritation. I'm not on vacation. No, I have to get a job. It started impacting other areas of my life. A real experience, a real need. But now it started driving me internally. This is how I have to be for now. And you know, it's like it, it became this record that I'm just playing in my head every day. You know, it's like, gotta get a job. Uh, gotta get a job. What? Gotta get a job. <laughs> that was my experience every day. But not just, it's all day. Anywhere I went, that was in my head. I got to get, you know, nothing worked well until I got a job. This burger would taste much better if I had a job. You know what I mean? Just this, oh my goodness, my wife, I thank God for my wife. She struggled with me. And it's like, how do I come out of this? And, and there, there was a time I, w I would call it like, you know, maybe this is, maybe I was being stubborn, but no, I had to admit sometime later, it was a very selfish place. It was a selfish space that I was in. Real pain, real anxiety, but this is what I got to do now. And I wasn't seeing anything else around me. I'm missing other blessings that God might want to show me because this is all I see. And I worked through it, you know, getting up, times I had to recertify, going to unemployment, you know, thank God for unemployment. I was thanking God in the midst of that. Hey, you know, some people don't have that, so I'm grateful. But it's just that striving that was driving me. Couldn't stop the weekend, everything, everything, everything. That's all it was, all it was. And God had to break into that moment. I needed a divine encounter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is where it gets real for me. I needed to see something bigger than what I was going through. And you and I are like that in those wilderness moments. That's all I see. And there's nothing else that matters. Right? We need a real encounter with God. And I have to jump back to the passage because this is what Moses gets. God calls him from the bush. He distracts him. That's why I need a divine distraction. Moses is doing what he normally does. This is what I usually do. And what is that? I've never seen that before. He checks it out and God calls him from the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am. 
But this is so key. Moses, stop right there. Don't approach. Take off your sandals. The ground where you stand is holy. I need to linger here for a moment because there's something important about this. See, Hagar experiences the tender care of God who meets her in that broken place. Elijah experiences God's provision. But there are times when we need to see God in all of his greatness and glory. I need to see the God that's bigger than me, that's outside of me. The God that I need to bow before. Moses in this encounter is called to a holy reverence. A holy reverence for a big and awesome God. Stop right there. You can't approach that way. Take off your sandals. And my fear is when we get caught in that moment of self, we lose a holy reverence for God. Because it's all about me. And it's in this encounter with God that we first need to be resized. I'm going to say something to us that it might sting a little bit, but even in these painful moments, we have to remember it's not all about you. That's hard for us sometimes. It's not all about you and what you're going through. What you're going through is real. Don't get me wrong. Thank you. It is what it is. Hey. What you're going through is real, but it's not all that's happening. We need to be resized. Lord, I need to see you in all of your glory. I need to see the great I am. And that's exactly what Moses gets. God resizes us and then reshapes us. God says, Moses, I've heard the cry of my people, and I've come to save them. God reshapes us. We, we're given God's agenda, not our own. God comes and calls Moses to his agenda. Now imagine if God did it based on what I'm, where I'm assuming Moses might be. Looking at the years, and God comes and says, you know, Moses, I've been watching you these past several years, and I see your care for your people. I see what you tried to do. You know, I resonate with that. I resonate with where you are right now. And just, Moses, I, I know you tried and failed. You know, you had to run. I get it, man. I get it. You just lack firepower, and I just want you to know, I want to give it to you. I'm going to, Moses, anything you need, I will, I'll back you up. We don't get that. God doesn't even address what Moses is thinking or what he's going through. God shows up, Moses, check this out. I've heard the cry of my people, and I've come to do something about it. Moses, go. No suggestion, no asking. I want you to go. That's how we're doing it. That's right. 
God comes in and gives a command. Here's how we're doing it. And then, you know, this is where I love this. And this also goes into chapter four, you know, where Moses starts giving excuses. So I want to kind of go through that. I mean, the first thing Moses says is, God, who am I? Who am I to go to Pharaoh? Right? And you know, God says, I will be with you. Now, sometimes I love to give the TLW translation, TLW, that's me, TLW uh, translation of what God says here. Moses, I did not ask for your resume. I didn't ask for your credentials. It's funny when we're in that place and God starts talking to us, telling us what we do, that selfish place, I still go here. Who am I? You know, now I'm guessing maybe Moses is thinking, well, you know, like, well, when I was, when I was back in Egypt, you know, I had some prominence and, you know, I was in the palace and maybe you could have used me there. You know, I could have talked to Pharaoh, maybe we could have worked something out, but you know, now I'm on the run. I'm a fugitive. I mean, I can't really do much now. I have no connections. God don't care about his resume. I will be with you. This is what you're going to do. Then he goes on to say, well, okay, well, well, who should I say, who should I tell him, you know, sent me? Hmm, I am. Tell him that I am has sent you. I can't explain myself to you. Tell him that I am has sent you. And, and then God starts telling all these promises. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's how I'm going to lead the people and so on. So it's beautiful. We go into the next chapter, and I'm just going to reference chapter 4, and I can't read this stuff without laughing because it's so us, <laughs> you know. Um, Moses, again, it's just like, okay, well, God, well, okay, you want me to go. What if they don't listen to me, right? And then God shows them, okay, you're going to perform these signs, okay? The staff that's in your hand, throw it on the ground, becomes a serpent, right? Okay, then grab it by the tail, became a staff again, okay? Then here's what I want you to do. You know, put your hand inside your, says your breast, inside of your, 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 your clothing, and then bring it, out, bring it out, and it was leprous, you know? And then put it back in, you know, and then was made whole again. So he's saying, these are all the signs I'm going to show, right? And just, so you're good. I got you. Go. Okay. Wait. Uh, another question. Um, you know, God, I've always had a speech problem. You know, I get stage fright. You know, I try to, the words just don't come. You, yeah, you know how that is. I can't really go. And then God is just, you know, getting more and more angry <laughs> with him. It's kind of funny. But, um, you know, God is like, who made the blind, the deaf, and the, deaf and, and the mute? You know, God said, I'm going to teach you what you need. Go. Okay, God. And then Moses is like, God, could you just send somebody else? You know, I mean, I got a lot to do here. I got these sheep I got to take care of, you know. Yeah, my schedule, you know. Somebody else, just send somebody else. In the passage, says God's anger burned against Moses. Now, this makes me think about my, my parents, particularly my mom, when I was young. And my brothers, we get to cutting up. We're not doing what we're supposed to do. And my mom would say something like this. I use this on my kids sometimes, too. <laughs> well, she would say something like, I'm going to count to three. And if you don't get your black behind up and do what I told you to do, you know what's coming. That's how I feel this moment feels like, you know. God is like, God just gets mad at Mo Moses. 
Like, Moses is not getting the gentle, compassionate, caring God. No, he's getting a divine slap in the face. Moses, get up. Right? And then after that, okay, Moses, he goes, okay? And oh, and he tells her too, you know, you worry about your feet. Look, look, man, your brother, I know your brother Aaron, you know him, right? You know, he's, he's looking forward to seeing you. He speaks well, he'll speak for you, okay? Okay? Now go. Go. Right? He goes, and the long story short, okay, he starts moving in God's direction. Oh, yeah, Moses, by the way, want to mention, the people who wanted you dead, well, they're gone now. They're dead, so you don't have to worry about that. He's been living in the wilderness with a wanted sign on his back. This is how I have to be. And yet he's interrupted with a divine purpose that is outside of himself. And that's the same for us, where sometimes we need to be quiet and recognize that Almighty God is talking. When we in self, we love talking a whole lot. I wrote this in my notes, I'm just going to say, but just sometimes we just need to shut up. Shut up. God Almighty is speaking right now. I don't know how, I don't know, I didn't ask you that. I said I'm going to be with you. That's what I need you to go with. God commands us to obey. What has God commanded you to do in this wilderness experience that you're in? Right? Maybe it's to repent. Maybe it's to trust. You're so anxious about everything. I need you to rest right now. Maybe it's to re-engage community. God, I don't want to get hurt again. That's not, you, 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 you're looking at you now. I'm calling it, this is a divine agenda right now. I want you to go because I said so. It's not about what you're capable of. I want you to re-engage community. And I will be with you. That means when you go, you're going on different terms. The rules of engagement have changed. It's not about you anymore. God's calling you to forgive. You don't know what they, you don't know what they did. What did I tell you? Yeah, it's hard, but you better get working on that. And it's trusting God in that process. God, I don't have it. But you said, and I know you'll be with me. This is your agenda. I need to forgive. As hard as it is, I can't stay here. I got to keep moving. I hope you're tracking with what's happening here. Have you made the wilderness your, the land you dwell in? And are you hearing this text when we come to a holy reverence for God? That God shakes us out of ourselves. The wilderness is real, but God's, real is, God's will is so much more real. Here's a thought. What happens? What happens if Moses stays where he is? It's a couple quick thoughts, and then I'll wrap up. What happens if Moses doesn't go? Well, for one, he won't see God's power on display. 
He won't see God's wonders. He won't see what God is able to do in bad situations. Two, he won't see the restoration that God can bring to him and his people. He won't see the transformative work of God in his life if he stays here. And this is a, night, a big one. He won't experience intimacy with God. You know, Moses is regarded as one of the greatest prophets. But it's not necessarily because of the, the, the works that God performed through him and the wonders of God. It was the intimacy he had with God. See, God worked with him unlike any other prophet where God talked to him face to face as with a friend. Moses knew God intimately. But if he stays here, he won't get that experience. If you stay there in the wilderness, you won't see the healing God can bring, the transformation God can bring to you. You won't see God's power on display. You won't hear God's divine call. And you won't have intimacy with God. See, Moses talked to God face to face. And yet here in Christ, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That we carry the presence of the living God with us. But if I stay in this selfish space, I'm not going to experience intimacy with God. Maybe I'll be safe, kind of, in my wilderness. I get things working for me, but I won't experience the life God has for me. And that's something for us to think about, new community. The wilderness is real. The pain is real. But I need us to guard against that selfish space that we can go to. And this is calling us to look up. And I had to look back and and think that maybe, just maybe, God allowed my job search to go a little longer to frustrate me into looking up. Maybe out of your anxiety or your worry, the striving that you move toward to try to get something, God will just keep that thing out of reach until you get so frustrated. This is all I can do. Will you look up today? Cece, you can come on up. He won't see God's power. He won't see restoration. He won't experience intimacy. I'm going to pivot because we're going to get ready for communion. But I thought about this too. You know, Jesus also had a wilderness moment in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's crushed under the agony, the fear, the terror of what he's about to go through. Internally, he's wrestling. I don't know if I can do this. What if Jesus would have stayed in that moment? What if Jesus would have lived out of that moment? I can't do this. This is too painful. Where would we be? 
our sins wouldn't be taken care of. The power of the gospel, the cross. Jesus went into that wilderness moment, but he looked up. Not my will, but yours be done. I'm hurting right now. It's real. I can't bear this. I need you. Not my will, but yours be done. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Lord, we need you. Lord, we recognize that you are with us in this space, this wilderness that we encounter. In the midst of the confusion, the disorientation, and the temptation to stay there, to build up camp, Lord, may we look up. May we see you in all of your glory, your splendor, your power. And it is only that vision of you that will allow us to overcome self, the wilderness of self. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Jesus, that you looked up and you did it for us. Lord, bless your people now. And I pray, Lord God, that you prepare our hearts right now for communion. This time that we remember what you've done for us. We do not take it lightly or for granted. That's in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're watching online, please take a moment to prepare your elements. Everyone here, prepare your hearts for communion. That we don't do this lightly. We do this recognizing the awesome gift that Jesus gave us. We remember that on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave thanks. It says, take, this is my body, which is given for you. He took the cup. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. We come not only to reflect on what Christ has done, but we also recognize our participation in his crucifixion. That just as he died for our sin, we too become dead to sin. And as he rose from the dead, we are raised to new life. Come to the table when you are ready.